Good morning, Calvary Church, and Merry Christmas. We're running out of chances to say that, so Merry Christmas. It's great to see you guys today. We're so glad you've joined us um, for this Sunday morning to worship King Jesus together. My name is Tim, and I'm one of the pastors here at our church. Um, the day after Christmas, uh, it's, a, it's a strange day. It's always a little bittersweet, isn't it? Uh, I remember as a kid thinking on the day after Christmas, uh, there's a lot of good stuff still, right? You've got all the presents you can still play with and try out. You've still got the leftovers of all the good food. But there's that thought in the back of your head that there are 364 days until I get to do this again. That's a really long time. And so you can already get like January's coming in and you're like, oh man, this is kind of a, a sad feeling. Uh, the Christmas decorations, the movies, the music, they're all about to be shelved until next year. It's, it's a little bit of a downer, right? Well, I think the same idea can happen with our engagement with the Christmas story and with those passages of Scripture as well. The birth of Jesus, His incarnation, God becoming man, Emmanuel coming to us, they can sometimes feel like they only come out in December, and that we leave those behind when we enter into the new year. Um, and, and sometimes it doesn't occur to us to think about these ideas or revisit these passages through the rest of the year. So I, I want to ask today, what should we do with the Christmas story on December 26th? Right? What do we do with the Christmas story today on December 26th and beyond? Well, Scripture gives us a good answer to this question. It gives us uh, guidance and instruction for how to delight in and learn from the Christmas story, not just in December, but throughout the year. There's a gospel basis, a foundation for Christmas, um, and, and really for the entire life of the Christian, right? The gospel um, is what shapes everything we are. The truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel should shape who we are, not only at Christmas time, but every other time. So, what is the gospel? It's always the question worth asking, right? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news about Jesus proclaimed. What Jesus did and what it means for you and for I. And so the gospel news about Jesus begins at Christmas. At Christmas, the grace of God appeared. Grace is God's gift to us. It's his compassion and his generosity that's poured out to us. And God's grace appears to us in Jesus, in that baby born in the manger, in the life he lived for us. Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord, the angels told us. Jesus is born to bring God's grace, God's gift to us. Indeed, the grace of God has appeared in time and space as a human being like you or I which is wild to think about. God's grace embodied in a person who began life like you and I do as a tiny, defenseless baby. And even more than that, Jesus comes to give himself. That's where Christmas begins, and that's where it leads us all the way to the cross. Jesus was born and lived and died to give himself up for us. He is the greatest gift, the one that none of us can ever deserve, and the gift that inspires all other gifts after that. So this is the news. This is the story. This is the gospel. And it is the reporting of what God has done in the world, the good news of great joy that is for all people. 
And so today, we want to look at a passage that speaks to the continuing year-round relevance of this message, of the gospel of the Christmas story for our lives. A passage that's going to show us the gospel basis for our everyday life. So turn with me to the book of Titus, chapter 2. The book of Titus. Now this is a letter that was written to Paul, uh, to one of his protégés, a young pastor, who you guessed it, is named Titus, um, who was ministering to the churches on the island of Crete. He was pastoring there. And Paul is going to show in these verses how the good news, Jesus' arrival at Christmas and his self-giving on the cross, are the basis of our lives. The gospel is the foundation that we build our lives on, that shapes us each and every day. So read with me from Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. This is what God's word says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Church, let's pray together. Father, we are thankful to be able to gather in your name to worship you and to turn our attention to your word to us. Father, I pray that you would show us the gospel truth in this passage, that today the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your eyes. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so these verses that we've read here in Titus, they describe the Christmas story and the gospel, albeit in in subtle ways, right? It speaks of God's grace appearing to us in verse 11. That's the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, God becoming man and appearing in human flesh before us. And it speaks of Jesus giving himself to us in verse 14. This is not only the Christmas story, but ultimately the cross when Jesus lays down his life for us. And this gospel in these verses is the basis for the conduct, the way that Christians should live that appears in the rest of Titus chapter 2. If you were to read uh, the first 10 verses here, Paul goes through different segments in their church and describes the way that the gospel should shape the way they live their lives. He speaks to men. He speaks to women. He speaks to the older. He speaks to the younger. He speaks to the poor, the servants, the slaves, and the, uh, the richer, the, the masters, and shows how for each of them, their lives should be molded around the gospel in each of their specific um, ways. What, uh, well, and, and he charges them in, in 2 verse 1, to live according to sound or healthy doctrine. In other words, what they've believed about Jesus should shape who they are and what they do, right? What we believe shapes how we act and what we do. And a failure to be shaped by the gospel doctrine shows that we profess to know Christ but deny him by our works in 116. So this matters. The way we live should be fit to the gospel, And when it doesn't, it shows that we may not believe, we may not hold to the gospel that we claim to. So this matters, the the connection between our lives and our beliefs of the gospel and our actions. So 
what does this all mean for us on the day after Christmas? How does this connect? Is it time to move on to other things, to leave behind the birth accounts and to move uh, to other truths, other sections of Scripture? Well, no. Paul tells us that the appearing of Jesus, Jesus giving himself as a gift for us, uh, this, this should constantly shape us. This should be on our minds all of the time. It's that big. It's that seismic. This isn't something that's on the periphery. This is at the very center of what we believe and who we are. And in these verses, we see the, sh- the gospel shape our past, our present, and our future. This is another way of saying that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And so for the rest of our time today, we're going to look at these three the grace of Christmas past, present, and future. And we're going to see how the good news of the appearing of God's grace, the the gospel of Christmas, should form us. And so let's begin where Paul begins. Let's start in the past, right? Uh, He begins by looking backwards to these things that have really happened, these things, uh, these events that have already occurred when Paul is writing to Titus. Right? He's speaking of events that are years in the past, things that people could look back and remember, things that people could go to eyewitnesses and hear about. Jesus, born of a virgin. Jesus living. Jesus dying on the cross. And Jesus rising again. These are historical events in their past. And obviously, for you and I, reading this verse 2,000 years later, these are things in our past as well. So there's a historical past that's happening here. Um, and these events have accomplished something really big, haven't they? Uh, Paul writes that the appearance of Jesus brings salvation to all people in verse 11. And then in verse 14, he says that Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. This speaks to the purpose of why he came, what he did and what it accomplished. As the Christmas song says, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. This is what Jesus has done. Two things, bring salvation for all people and to redeem us from all lawlessness. This is accomplished. But this is not just the historical past, right? This is actually our personal past as well. This is the gospel removing the sin, the mistakes, the errors, and the failures that are in our past. Jesus is taking away our baggage. He's wiping the slate clean, and he's forgiving the debt that we owed. The things that are behind us, the things that we have done, no longer are a chain around us that hold us back. They're no longer a barrier that prevents us from knowing and loving God. They are gone. This is what it means to be redeemed, to be bought back, to be freed for the future, to be rescued from a burden that's too big for us to handle. Our past is taken care of. Jesus came to offer salvation to all who repent and believe in him, and he rescues us and redeems us from our sin and from death. Our past is removed. I saw a bumper sticker this week which said, I'm already going to hell. I might as well go big or go home. Which is like, I mean, sort of honest introspection there. It says, there's a lot of problems in my life. I'm just going to go with it. But it reflects this idea that says, I'm already in I might as well just keep going on the path I'm in. There's too much behind me. There's no changing course now. This is what I am. But the thing is, that's not true. 
That's not what the gospel teaches us. The gospel is not for perfect people or the people who haven't gone so far that they're irredeemable. Yet the gospel is good news of great joy for all people, for everybody. There is no one so far gone that Jesus can't bring them back. There is nothing that we can do that Jesus cannot forgive. Anyone can come to Jesus. So remember, church, today, that the gospel of Jesus heals our past. The old has gone and the new is here. Don't let the past keep you from coming to Jesus. The gospel past. Well, this leads us to the gospel in our present moment. The grace of the gospel shapes our present moment as well. It should train us and shape us for today. December 26th, 2021, this moment. In some ways, I think it's really a lot easier to think of the gospel for the past, right? Because we say that from the very beginning. If you've, any, if you've ever heard the gospel presented, if you've ever been around a church, you know, like, the gospel's here to forgive what you did, right? It's kind of a fresh start, and then it's kind of up to you. It's kind of how it's presented sometimes. Well, again, that is not what the gospel teaches us. We need to know Jesus to be forgiven of our sin in the past, but we forget to live by the truths today. We forget that the gospel is just as much for right now as it was for yesterday. If we are saved by the grace of God, we also must live by the grace of God. And this is really Paul's main point in these verses. He wants to show them that the gospel doctrine is the basis for their everyday, daily obedience and sanctification, being made holy, being transformed. It shapes who we are, what we do what we are becoming day by day. Paul says that the grace of God has appeared in verse 11 and that it is training us in verse 12. This means that the gospel story, the truth about Jesus, is training us right now if we are following Jesus. It is instructing us. It is teaching us. It is not just doctrine to be studied and put away in some big thick book. It's meant to be practiced today. in in the normal, boring, everyday rhythms of life. And Paul goes on um, to describe for us, what does this mean? Because I think that's a fair question. What does this mean? How can the story of Christmas train me? Um, How can it instruct me and teach me? Well, Paul gives us two ways that we are trained uh, for today by the gospel truth. First, he says that we are trained to renounce sin. We are trained to renounce sin. It says specifically that we are to renounce ungodliness and worldly desires. We give them up. The Bible tells us that at large, the world around us opposes God and his ways and his plan and his rule. It is against these things. The world values the things that are not what God values, and it does the things that are not what God would have us do. And so worldly desires are ungodliness. They are not godly desires. And Paul says we must give them up. We have to leave them behind. We can't have these things anymore. We can't treasure them. We can't carry them forward with us. We have to renounce them, leave them be. And there's a couple reasons for this, right? The first being it's harmful for us. Worldly desires do not produce our good. Ungodliness does not produce our good. It produces death and destruction and pain. They are poison in our life. We need to get rid of them. But even more important than that, we leave these things behind so that we can achieve something better, so that we can go a better way. 
We can put poison behind and receive good medicine, receive good health. We have to be freed from slavery to an evil master in order to serve a good master. Ultimately, Paul tells us this, this is being purified, is being cleansed from sin and its effects in order to be set apart for a better purpose. So we need to ask ourselves as we read this, what are we holding on to? No matter what sin or desire it might be, anything that is keeping us from something greater, anything that is keeping us from following Jesus with everything that we have has to be let go. Trust in the better promises. Trust in the goodness of the gospel in Jesus today and leave everything else behind. So it trains us to renounce ungodliness and sin. And secondly, it trains us to embrace godliness. Embrace godliness. This is uh, the greater purpose. It's not enough to renounce sin. We have to replace it with this better thing. We have to find something immeasurably greater in following Jesus daily, moment by moment. Living according to God's plan and design. This is godliness. Living and breathing and acting and speaking in a way that God uh, approves of, in a way that looks like God in his action in the world. We are to be shaped into the image of Jesus. This is ultimately godliness, right? To be like God in our actions is to look like Jesus, to be transformed into the image of Christ. This is the point of following Jesus, is to look like him. We become people who belong to Jesus and who begin to look like him. And he lists three different ways that we are to do this. He says our lives are to be self-controlled, upright, and godly. And each of these things are about right relationships. They're all about relationship statuses in our lives. Being self-controlled means to have the right relationship with yourself, to understand who you are. It means you're not governed, you're not mastered by sinful desires and cravings and whatever might feel good in the moment, whatever might satisfy that desire that you have in that time. You have control over those things. And you recognize that you do not belong to yourself. You belong to Christ who has redeemed you, who has saved you. He is your Lord. He is your King. This is self-control, knowing we belong to God and are serving Him. He is the only one who directs us. His Spirit directing our minds to live and act appropriately. That's to be self-controlled. To be upright is to have right relationships with other people. Right? With the people around us. The people we see every day. It's to treat them with goodness, with kindness. To practice justice and fairness towards them and to remember that they are people who God loves and who God made in his image. To be upright means that we treat others not as objects who can benefit us and do things for us. We treat them as people who we can serve and love. They are opportunities for us to serve and love others. This is to be upright. And finally, godliness means to live in right relationship to God. This is our vertical relationship. So we have our inner relationship to ourself, our outer relationships to others, and our vertical relationship to God. Our all must be in alignment. This means that we know God, that we trust God, and that we love him with our whole heart and mind and soul and strength. We love God. And the end result of these three things, these three right relationships, is that we become a people who belong to Jesus. This is what Paul tells us, that Jesus came to make us a people prepared for himself. A people who are zealous for good works. A people who are 
chomping at the bit. They cannot wait. They're just ready to get out there and do these good things that God has prepared in advance for us to do. It means we don't obey Christ. We don't love others. We don't love God in in order to earn our place with him. That's already secure. That's in the past. That's done. And we don't do those things out of some sense of obligation, out of feeling like we have to, even though we don't want to. No, we, we love to do these things. We are zealous to do these things because we've seen the, the old way. We've seen the worldly way, and we've put it behind. We know that is evil. That is poison. That is destroying us. And we've seen the good thing in front of us, and we can't wait to go for it. We can't wait to see the good thing that God has for us. So we give ourselves completely to know him and to follow him each day. This is training that is based on the gospel. What we're really talking about here is discipleship. Training is discipleship, right? It's about being formed, about being shaped. How can the gospel in the Christmas story do this? How can it shape us and train us? Well, all training really is, is it is knowledge applied to practice, right? Knowledge applied to practice. We take what we know and then we do it. And we practice it. We do it over and over again to learn how to do it rightly so that we don't have to think about it anymore. It just happens. We, we see a situation and we react as we should because we've spent the time meditating on these things and putting them into, into practice. So there's a couple things that this requires. First, it requires repetition, right? We have to do the same thing over and over and over and over again. We don't learn to follow Jesus in a day. We're not conformed to the image of Christ the second after we follow Jesus and it's all good from there. No, this is repetition. It's doing these little things over and over and over again. It's about reading scripture and letting it soak into us over and over and over and over again. It's about turning to God in prayer, not once, not in an emergency, but over and over and over again. It's that process, it's that repetition that shapes us and changes us, forms a habit in us. The second thing it requires is consistency consistency. If you want to be a better runner, it's a lot more helpful to run one hour every day for a month than to run seven hours one day and then see how you did, right? You just throw up and then like go to bed and the next day you're not any better off, right? Uh, No, it's that consistent action. It's spread out over a duration of time that forms us, it shapes us, that creates good health in us. And this is about taking the long view, isn't it? We are really bad at this as Americans. I am really bad at this. I want right now, I want instant results. I want to microwave it. No, consistency is about the long term, about slow and steady progress that you may not see in the moment, but over the long course produces great results. It takes repetition, it takes consistency, and finally it takes effort. Not effort that saves us, right? Not earning our own place with God, not earning our salvation, but it takes work. We have to do stuff. We have to cooperate with the Spirit's action in our lives. It's, it's hard sometimes. It's not easy. It takes effort to train, to be shaped into God's image. And so what is training, shaping, forming us today? Is it this gospel of the grace of God appearing to us? giving himself for us? Are we daily looking to the one who came to save us? Or are we still living and training in ungodliness and worldly desires? The truth is all of us are training for something. All of us are being trained by someone. And we need to know who that is. We need to know what direction we're going, what image we are being formed into. The gospel shapes our past, it shapes our present, 
And it leads us finally to our future. The gospel of Christmas impacts our future and especially our attitude towards the future. As, as mortal people, we are least able to access the future, right? We can look with hindsight at the past and see what's come and think about it, and we live in this moment, and we have control over what we do right now, but the future is unknown to us, right? And so the future hope of the gospel is about just that. It's about hope. It's about looking towards these promises that we don't have access to yet and believing and trusting that they will come to be. It's about trusting what God will do. Jesus' incarnation and his birth at Christmas, to speak nothing of his life and his death on the cross, they began the work of salvation and the transformation into his image. But those things aren't done yet. And we know that, right? Because we are still broken. There's still sin in our lives. There's still hurt in this world. We know that's not done yet. But the gospel mission of Jesus is not in doubt. We're not waiting and wondering if Jesus will overcome We're not waiting and wondering, will God complete this work that he's begun in us? No, we have certainty. Jesus will complete what he began when he returns. Jesus appeared in our past, and he promises that he will come again. He will appear to us in his second coming and make all things new. This is the blessed hope that Paul mentions in verse 13. Jesus returning to complete what he started, to complete what he secured, to consummate what he inaugurated. Our future is not in doubt. We know the end of the story. We just don't know when it's going to happen. Never doubt that God will keep his promises, church. That he will complete the work of transformation and restoration in your life. That he will finish what he began when you first followed Jesus. The gospel of Christmas allows us to look forward. To wait for Jesus' coming. We are daily waiting for this completion. So how then do we wait? How are we to wait now? As we deal with all of the problems of our present, how do we look to the future? There's four ways, I think, that that we need to wait that are informed by this passage and really the rest of the New Testament, which is constantly telling us, look forward, look to Jesus, and look to his coming. First, we wait eagerly. Eagerly, This is what we live for. This is what the entire Christian life is about. It's about looking to the time when we will be with Jesus. The time when we will see him face to face, person to person. When our sin will be gone. When our tears will be wiped away and will be a distant memory at best. This is about what we are striving for all of the time. We should be eager. We should be exciting because we know that something better is coming than what we have right now. No matter how good it is right now, something better is coming with Jesus when he comes back. This doesn't mean that we don't value today. It doesn't mean we don't value the good gifts God has given us in this moment. But it does mean we remember what is ultimate. Jesus Christ, our Lord. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes this, this good advice for us for waiting. He says, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. When we wait eagerly, we are aiming for heaven. So this is to our second one. We wait eagerly, we wait actively. Like we said, today matters. It matters what we're doing. When we follow Jesus, we don't go lock ourselves in a bunker and wait to die or wait for Jesus to come back. No, we've been given a mission. We've been given work to do today and tomorrow and the next day. So we get to work. 
We get to work because we know that our God is coming back. And we know we have his mission. We have this good news to proclaim to other people. We are zealous for this good work, to put this good work into action. So we wait actively. We are to be the church in the world. That's our job, to wait actively. We wait eagerly, we wait actively, we wait confidently. There will be many times when we're tempted to doubt, is Jesus, is it true? Is, are these promises real? Have, have I built my life on something true and real and trustworthy and solid? The Bible tells us, the Christmas story tells us, yes, we can be confident. Jesus will return. He has come. He has secured this for us. We can wait with confidence. We can trust him. He is the God who keeps his promises. All things will be set right. All things will be made new. And so lastly, we wait patiently. We don't know the time. We don't know when. We don't know what we're going to have to go through on the, on the path forward, do we? But we know that he will be with us. We know that he will be faithful. And so we can wait patiently. So church, how are, are we waiting? Are we waiting faithfully? Actively, eagerly, confidently. How are we spending this time, this moment we've been given now as we await the coming of Jesus? The Christmas story, the good news that God's grace has appeared to us is for our past, it is for our present, it is for our future. We have been saved when Jesus redeemed us from sin and forgave our past. We are being saved today as we are trained and shaped into the image of Christ, and we will be saved when Jesus returns and sets all things right. And so Calvary Church, Christmas is not over. Don't shelve the grace of the gospel alongside the Christmas lights and the decorations. Let the gospel of Christmas shape your yesterday, your today, and your tomorrow. Let's pray together, church. Father, we love you, and we love this news that you have given to us, this news that you have given to us to proclaim. Father, I pray that we would rejoice in the, in the gospel of Christmas, that you came to us, that you have saved us, and you are coming again. Father, I pray that we would be a church who is growing every day in godliness, who is eagerly awaiting your return. Father, I pray that you would encourage us when we are down, that you would, that you would strengthen us when we are weak, and you would help us to follow Jesus, to be ambassadors of Christ in our community, in our daily lives, today and tomorrow until you return. Father, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.